The problem's dark side run much deeper than a few microchips. The government must cut costs. We're in a recession. The Dockers Guild has legitimate grievances. I can't just ignore them. One thing hasn't changed. Workers always get shafted. Why does the universe hate me? Hello and welcome to Who Are You? It's a Babylon 5 Watchcast, hopefully your favorite Babylon 5 Watchcast, hosted by two internet strangers who are getting to know each other while bonding over and making jokes about Babylon 5. I'm Laura. And I'm Jafer. And today I get to ask Jafer, Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Do you know who I am? So, I don't feel like one is defined by their work. Sure. But I have a very unique work experience I thought I'd talk about that has shaped me as a person in a number of ways. Sure. Go for it. So, I worked in retail remodeling for about eight years. Hmm. And of those eight years, about five were spent traveling. And then I also stayed with the company and was a supervisor and traveled for another couple of years. So I've spent about seven and a half, eight years traveling on the road, five of which were doing some form of construction work. Hmm. And so it started with mostly just mostly Michigan-based stuff. I did it when I was in college. It was a good night job. Um, I could go to class and I'd go and I'd do remodels overnight, go to class in the morning, sleep a bit during the day, do another couple of classes and then go to work. So I figured this would be fun to talk about a bit. One, because of the construction side of it, we're relating to this episode, Mm, Um, but also just the traveling side of things definitely shaped me as a person. For about two and a half years of this, I was remodeling CVSs Mm. and I would effectively move into a new city for somewhere between two to four weeks consistently for a couple of years. For about two and a half years, I lived in a new city every couple of weeks. So I'd like get a place, you know, like uh, staying in hotels, but I'd fly into the city. I'd live in that city for a couple of weeks and then I'd go fly to another city when the job was done. That's a crazy turnaround. So yeah, like I lived in New York for two months and then I lived in LA for two months. Wow. Like back to back. (laughs) Yeah. I I went home a couple of times. I didn't really have a place of my own. Didn't really make sense. So I moved all my stuff into my parents' place because when I was going to be home, I was going to be spending time with them anyways. And also any place I would have had would have been in a glorified storage unit. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Because I came home about maybe two or four days a month was just how I lived for a while. So yeah, I, I spent a lot of time going from place to place, spending a lot of time in a lot of places, which has taught me a lot about people. I was usually with a couple of coworkers that always the same coworkers from job to job. And then there'd be like store managers and stuff that I would interface with. So I'd usually have like a friend or two in town that I would make in my first couple of days there. And then also just from my college experience and my hobbies and the LARPing and doing national events for that, sure. I knew people just about everywhere I went. 
Yeah. Um, so you're like, were, hey, I'm coming to town. Yeah, there were a couple of towns I went to where I didn't know anyone within like an hour's distance. But for the most part, I was able to see someone that I knew everywhere I went. That's nice. It was a really cool experience. And I also did a lot of like construction work, you know, like I'm putting together a new store. So I'm not building the store. I'm not doing what we typically consider construction work, but I am building the aisles where all the products are and putting up shelves and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So there is, you know, a lot of stuff to do, putting up walls, like the cosmetic walls and stuff. I've reset so many cosmetic walls in my life. I know, I know way more about cosmetics for someone who's never actually used them. Uh, <laughs> besides a little foundation on a middle school photo day to hide pimples. is sure, basically sure. my only experience with it. But sometimes you're in a store and you're only going to be there for six hours, especially when I was doing the more local stuff. I'd be doing a lot of random odds and ends. And so we had a saying in the crew, especially in the when I was local, more local at least, I had like a pool of like 15 people that all worked under in my crew. I was the team lead and it was whoever could afford to come with classes and stuff in the schedule for that night. We'd make it work. Right. And a lot of the times we're there and it's like, okay, we've got eight hours to do this set. We're going to try and get it done in six or something, you know, and then, you know, get paid for our drive home effectively. And a lot of the times you're in these stores and you'd encounter things like shelves up on a rack, you know, 20 feet in the air that is going to take a high low, a forklift is going to have to come through, clear out the area in front of it, get the thing down, get your shelves off of it and then put it back up, you know, and then you have to wait for someone who from the store who's high low certified and all this stuff. It'd take 45 minutes to an hour sometimes to get a shelf or two that you needed. Yeah. (laughs) We were not patient. And we were all in our 20s and we were a bunch Mm -hmm. of relatively Mm -hmm. athletic dudes. Most of the people in my crew were LARPing buddies. And so, you know, when your hobby is bowling over 200 pound dudes, you tend to just uh, take it as it goes. You're uh, invincible. Exactly. (laughs) I was definitely invincible in my 20s. Uh Um, Still am. Mm -hmm. Sure. (laughs) Oh, I mean, statistically speaking, I haven't really been proven wrong yet. So (laughs) just saying I'm immortal. Um. (laughs) And uh, so far, you're making the Lord Kiro mistake. I am making the Lord Kiro mistake. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) And so we would do things like, oh, well, you know, if you got up on that other shelving thing there, that's holding a bunch of dog food that can hold the next 200 pounds. You could climb up to that thing and get up there and get this shelf 20 feet in the air and hand it down to us down here and we'll make it work. You know, we'll get someone up on the 12 foot shelf to hand it down to, and then they'll hand it down to us. And we do stuff like that to kind of save ourselves a lot of time waiting. Mm -hmm. And we'd always say what's OSHA whenever Mm -hmm. we do something like this. Um, Just like we hadn't been informed, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) like, oops, we missed that day in kindergarten. No one told us what OSHA was. Sorry. (laughs) And I feel like that's pertinent because I get a lot of what's OSHA vibes from this episode. Yeah, today's episode has big what's OSHA vibes. Lots of lots of unsafe working conditions described in season one, episode 14. Yep. By any means necessary. Yeah. It's a very apt name for the episode because of the ending. And I, I like I wrote it down by any means necessary. And I'm like, that's kind of a weird name for this episode. And then I got to the ending and I'm just like, like oh, there it is. 
<laughs> I gotcha. And we open this episode on Ivanova playing air traffic control with a bunch of ships mm-hmm. all waiting to dock. And there's a malfunction on the overworked docks that causes the destruction of a Narn cargo cruiser that had something very special for Jakar, we find out. Yep. And damage to the cargo bay, which puts lives at risk. Yeah. When when we close and go to commercial right after the accident, we have, I think they tell us there's two guys trapped in mm-hmm. there. And we come back from theme still in this cargo bay that's you know sirens going off and klaxons ringing klaxons fire there's flames coming out the door we got a couple guys in covid suits that are prepared Mm -hmm. to retrieve the workers and they they pull a couple of these guys out of the the out of some tubes and you know fire and flames and stuff Mm -hmm. and the medics declare that the foreman's brother we find out Mm -hmm. is one of them and he has died he is dead Yep. So then we cut over to Jakar, and he's mm-hmm. chanting and praying, and Natoth interrupts him as he's praying over his book and says mm-hmm. she has bad news. She tells him that the Jaquan Eth was destroyed in the accident, and he is emotional about this. Yeah, he's got, he's got some feelings, and we understand how justified those are throughout the course of the episode as we learn what the Jaquan Eth is. Right. We, we have a little mystery here at first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we move to a meeting uh, with a representative of the docking crew where Sinclair shifts blame to them. And, you know, and then it's uh, they're just so understaffed. They've been working on these shifts to cover everything. Oh, well, we're not here to assign blame. Right. Some bullshit. Yeah, I, I thought this was this was pretty much a, a, you know, that that ball and cup game of blame. Mm-hmm. Like we were <laughs> we were moving the blame all around because Jakar is mad at. Sinclair and Ivanova, and Ivanova says, well, your captain shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Captain didn't follow instructions when the malfunction happened. Yeah, Jakar literally is like, I'm here to assign blame. And then as soon as it's his fault, it's like, whoa, we're not assigning blame here. (laughs) I've been in this meeting at work. I think we all have, yeah. If you haven't been in it yet, listener, you will be. (laughs) Yeah, I I just want to say that from this scene, I think it's a damn shame that Connolly's character wasn't a recurring thing. I feel like you could have had a recurring character, you know, representing this working class force on Babylon Mm -hmm. 5. And I just felt like we got a little shortchanged not having her around more. I agree. I will say it would have been an interesting perspective to present given how cosmic the story kind of shifts because it's still very Babylon 5 centric in season one mm-hmm. and season two for that matter and as the setting kind of grows in scope mm-hmm. it'd be something that you it's something you lose sight of yeah you know there's still the occasional dock worker and stuff like that around but yeah it's a perspective that the story loses over time and that is a shame yeah and then Garibaldi uh, rolls into the meeting with an actual answer. Yeah, he has actual blame. <laughs> <laughs> it was a computer failure. Substandard equipment for a cheaper cost led to a mechanical failure. Mm, that seems like a little bit of a conjecture on Garibaldi's part, but I'm going to let it go. Yeah. <laughs> but the problems are deeper than a few microchips. Mm-hmm. Uh, Connolly insists, and Sinclair is upset. And he's told their bosses they need more budget to keep up but they don't care about that. Mm-hmm. And now I've really been in this meeting. 
<laughs> so sorry. Yeah. And right usually... then, the senator calls about a new budget. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, the timing of Senator Hidoshi in this is comical. Oh, yes. Senator uh, Hidoshi is, is, he's an interesting thread that keeps running throughout the episode. Yeah, he, he calls it consistently, I, what I could only describe as a uh, Abbott and Costello timing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, consistently throughout the episode. But before that, Jakar goes to the market to look for something. And Lando gives him shit for effectively going shopping on the Sabbath. <laughs> which I thought was real fun. He needs a Shabbos goy. Latoff shows up to say that Lando is the only one who can help him, and he clearly knows, because as soon as uh, Jakar gets this news, Lando just does this two-handed wave as the lift closes on him. Oh, it's man. priceless. Yep. It's, it's so, you know, it's not this scene. I think it's the next scene with Lando and Jakar that he's a real dick in this yes. episode for, like, not really any real reason. I will. He has a very specific reason, and he tells us what right. that reason is, and right. we'll get to it. And I don't, given what was done previously, mm-hmm. I don't think this is on the same level. Like, as far as revenge, this sure. seems to be a lot less of a thing to me. Yeah. To be perfectly honest. That's um, true. But we'll get into that. But it's uh, been it like 10 around. episodes, dude. Let it go. It has been a number <laughs> of episodes. Senator Hiroshi, we cut to this, and Sinclair. he tells Sinclair that a bunch of pencil pushers who have no idea what's actually going on on the station and are probably overpaid say that Babylon 5's budget is more than sufficient, and they're just going to have to make, deal with it and make it work. Yeah. And meanwhile... I've really, really, really been in this meeting now. <laughs> yeah. Mm. This mean- hits home. Meanwhile, Ivanova is dealing with ships that can't dock because mm-hmm. all of the dock workers have called out sick so yep. she's telling everyone please hold please hold yep please hold. we get a little bit about how this is a government contract they can't quit and they can't strike mm-hmm. um, any strike they have is illegal and they're bound by their contract they can't quit so why would we give them anything there's no risk in there and they all call in sick Garibaldi uh, says his grandmother was a Boston cop. Mm-hmm. Of course. Of course she was. <laughs> and he mentions the blue flu. And this is referred to as an illegal strike. I just want to take a moment. Dear Babylon 5 workers, the Del Taco on my corner is starting people at 17 an hour. You don't need this job. <laughs> the great resignation. The job yeah. market is, it is the time. Now is your moment. Now is the moment. You know, if we want to talk about Alvin Roth and who's a Nobel laureate economics winner about matching markets in the labor market, now is the time to seize it. Who gets what and why? Excellent read if you need some motivation on getting out of your fucking job and getting a better one because now is the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that really made this episode really real. Yeah. Even though this is what thirty years old now. Yeah, is just 30? about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't want to think about it. It's, it's you know, it it's been a minute since this aired, and you think about, you know, to to make the um, Deep Space Nine comparison early. I want to know what the hell is going on. Up yours. 
come never got me a damn thing. Don't turn your back on me. Don't you even try to walk away from me. Just who the hell do you think you are? If you have something to say to me, say it. Now get the hell out of our galaxy. That's enough! The, mm-hmm. They also put out a, a similar Union Issues episode. They did? In that time. And well, this would have been March or April without looking it up of 1994, given the air date and the episode number. Yeah. Because season one started in early January of 1994. Yeah. So that puts us there. Deep Space Nine does this story, and I want to say season four or five. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's a little um, bit later than A little this. bit later. Um, Not to comment on any possible ripoff of the story. I, that's not the case. No, that's not what we're we're arguing for here. But they do do it a couple years later as well. And for both of those to be as uh, prescient as they feel currently. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a timeless story, I suppose. The conflict of management versus the people doing the work. Which I've got a problem here with this sick day. Okay. Not as someone who's in management and has been in management for over almost 13 years at this point, um, which, and I won't get in trouble for things. Anyone who calls in sick, who's not actually sick, clearly needs the day. In my opinion, <laughs> that's always been my opinion as a manager. And so I don't care if you fake a sick day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Any of my employees who might be listening to this, um, mm-hmm. if you need the day, take the day. The reason you give is immaterial. Mm-hmm. You know, a sick day that can be a mental health day, you know, that that's still a valid use of a sick day. Right. right. In my opinion. But my problem here is not with them taking the sick day. It's that they spent their sick day at work. They're yes. all in the docking bay. Why hanging are they out all on in their the sick day? Why are they all in the cargo bay? Me doing it wrong. Literally anywhere else. <laughs> there, I literally hear anywhere. I hear there's a nice casino on Babylon 5. Go to Breath of Fresh Air. Uh-huh. It might be too pricey, but yeah. I assume it's stupid expensive. But anywhere. <laughs> um, and then they ask themselves, you know, going over their shitty conditions. What's OSHA? <laughs> and looking at, like, the overhangs and how broken up everything is and all this shoddy equipment. I actually recall a very specific story from my time on the road. It's kind of like the quintessential what's OSHA story. Oh, no. (laughs) For me, I was doing a family dollar remodel in Columbia City, Indiana. Okay. And we were told that all of this old steel, which is just the generic term we used to refer to for all the bits and parts that make up a shelving unit, Mm -hmm. right? So yeah. the the metal uprights, the bars that hold them up in between the old shelves, all the, the feet, all this stuff that forms a shelving unit was all going to be scrapped and we'd gotten all new stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And so we were to not in an organized fashion because we didn't want to waste time organizing it because we had too much stuff to do to throw it in the back of this rented semi so that it could all be taken to a scrap yard. Okay. And so... With haphazardly, we're just taking hunks of steel, ranging in weight of half a pound for a mid-stretcher to 15 pounds for, you know, like a 60-inch upright, and just throwing them into this semi. We do this over the course of two weeks, and we replace all of the steel in the entire store. And we get to the last day, 
and someone from corporate comes through and it's just like well we need spares for the store there aren't any new spares so you're gonna have to go sift through that and find uh. x list of things that the store might require over the next 15 years of operation before it gets another remodel of this scale oh man and i was in there with my buddy cross and we're in this semi and we must be like 15 feet off the ground standing on pile of steel uh-huh. and we're just balancing kind of digging as much as you can dig through steel looking for things and at one point there's like a shift as he pulls an upright out and i see him move uh-huh. like three feet and he's just like this is too dangerous we need to get out of here uh-huh. <laughs> the only time i've ever heard him to see do anything and describe it as too dangerous in my entire life of seeing him climb 20 feet up and do all kinds of stupid shit to save time on getting shelves this was it this was the line we finally found it the pile of steel the pile of climbing and the pile of steel that is haphazardly stacked yeah (laughs) that'll do it that'll do it yep that's that's what this reminded me of that's that's the vibe i got from their working conditions yeah so these workers are through climbing on the pile of steel they want yep. some safety. They want some OSHA. And they call for a strike. Yeah. They actually throw the strike word out, even though they know that it's illegal for them to do so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so they call for a strike. Garibaldi comes down to talk to Connolly. And he's just like, oh, yeah, everyone's sick. And everyone fake coughs. <laughs> Oh, I I chuckled at that. That was very good. I would have chuckled in 2019. Oh, yeah. It's a little traumatized. It's a little triggering right now. Yeah, right now, if that were if I were to walk into a crowded room and everyone were to fake cough, I would melt into a puddle. Yeah. Just be like, well, it's easier to spontaneously combust. Yeah. Deal with this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I wanted to just make a point here Mm -hmm. that this episode and the Deep Space Nine episode about union issues, mm-hmm. both of them are a little slapsticky. Like there's a little bit of extra comedy, mm-hmm. it seems like. You know, the the Deep Space Nine episode is all about the Fringi, who are the butt of every joke, right? They yeah. are the the backwards butt yeah, of everything. Females. Yes, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's the Ferengi and they're they're doing their unionization thing and in this episode it's not it's not that we're making a joke out of the workers or anything but it's like we get these moments like the fake cough we get a downright physical comedy later with three people rushing into cnc and Mm -hmm. one of them you know is like they're all accosting sinclair and they're all doing it you know at a, a rapid pace timing that's very funny and I'm I'm wondering if it's just something that, you know, we can't as a maybe American culture, Western culture. Oh, it's an American grapple. thing. <laughs> like we can't grapple with this unionization conversation and this, mm-hmm. this labor versus management without jokes. We've got to have some jokey jokes in here or we will not respond. Well, otherwise you might be too serious about it. And if you're seriously considering a union. You should probably talk to your manager about that. 
Right, right. We've all gotten that speech before, right? <laughs> yeah, so I just, I thought that was an interesting parallel. And I don't think that's anybody ripping off of anybody. I think that I agree. that's America can't have a conversation about labor and management without someone having to lighten the mood every two minutes. You can't treat the working man this way. One day we'll form a union and get the fair and equitable treatment we deserve. Then we'll go too far and get corrupt and shiftless. And the Japanese will eat us alive. Yeah. <laughs> so. L lest we realize we might be oppressed. Right. <laughs> oh, boy. <sighs> so Sinclair wants to talk about other options besides striking, mm -hmm. which are go back to work. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm um. going to ask you really nicely this time. Yeah, I'm going to ask you really nicely because the Senate might enact the Rush Act. Yeah. We just get it by its name right now. We don't really know what it is exactly. And she's just like, no, no, the Senate won't do that. It's too far. Yeah. And he's just like, yeah, the Senate kind of sucks right now. Might do it. Yeah. And she says her dad was killed during the mining strikes on Ganymede. She spent her life defending workers' rights. And she makes the demands. They need a decent wage, decent equipment, and enough workers to do the job. Mm. And then Hidoshi calls. <laughs> Meanwhile, we get Jakar, who comes to visit Londo, whose door was unlocked. Yeah. Jakar makes his intentions to Londo known. He wants it for the religious ceremony. And Londo wants it to get high. When you drop the seeds into a proper mixture of alcohol, <laughs> whole new universes open up. <laughs> yeah, he's going to use it as a recreational drug. Yep, just like. <laughs> Which is super insulting. <laughs> yep. You want to burn this flower? I'm going to take its seeds, grind them up, drop them in booze, and just get lit. What up? Yeah. 50k oh. cash up front, mm -hmm. which yeah. is outrageous, we're informed. Yeah, Jakar storms out. His yeah. reaction says it all. We cut over back to Hidoshi, who says the strike has to end. Orin Zanto is on the way to end the strike. Hidoshi expects Sinclair to provide soldiers should the Rush Act be enacted. Mm -hmm. Sinclair is worried arresting these people will lead to a riot. So we get a little bit more here. The Rush Act is some form of government control over labor yeah um, for government workers clearly you know Gives like teachers right. who aren't allowed to strike mm -hmm. oh yeah now this is uh john snyder is uh oren zanto he's yeah, been I in him up. all kinds of stuff the thing uh -huh. he's probably most famous for is the voice of e honda in street fighter which i thought was weird yeah it seemed like he had a lot of video game credit and a yeah. lot of anime credit yeah, he's a voice Not actor there. in all kinds of stuff. So if you don't recognize him, but his voice sounds familiar, then you're probably a weeb. Yeah, so. this face did not mean anything to me. But I started scrolling through his his IMDb yeah, and I've I realized, definitely oh, he's seen some stuff he's a voice in. Yeah, he's been like in Cowboy Bebop even. And I was yeah. like, oh, OK, I guess he's got one of those voices. But he does. He has one of those faces that is very punchable. <laughs> he could he could be punched a lot yeah uh, i could like, that i i in my notes when he came on screen i wrote this fucking guy <laughs> <laughs> apt yeah yeah um he's ready to come in swinging when he gets off 
at Space TSA. Yeah. In the next scene, he's ready to come in swinging and wants to meet with Garibaldi right away so that he knows mm -hmm. Garibaldi will be there if he has to go with the Rush Act. Yep. And we cut back to a little bit of uh, Londo and Jakar here. Jakar gets the money together. Londo decides to not sell it to him. Mm -hmm. And now we find out his motivation. He cites yeah. in this scene that this is revenge for Ragesh three, and what happened specifically to his what he did to his nephew. Yes. So we know why Londo's being the way he is about it. And yeah, yeah. I mean, he put his nephew's life at risk for mm -hmm. political ploy just to mess with him. Yeah, this seems kind of on par, but without killing anybody. So right, I have to take it as a step lower. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no death here. There's no yeah. ships. There's no ambush. There's no yeah. Almost starting a war. This is as far as payback goes. Relatively harmless. It will harm Shakar's spirituality, which is important. It will harm his reputation on the station amongst the other followers of his religion, which. He could get over, I'm sure. Yeah. What, what puzzled me that I did not remember. So it going out of this scene, we go to Jakar and Natoth, and Jakar is, mm -hmm. you know, fuming. And then he turns to Natoth and says, you're not a follower of Jaquan, are you? And I didn't realize that there was other religion on Narn. Honestly. There's a handful of other religions on Narn. Yeah, I didn't uh remember. I because of what happens later in the series, Jaquan becomes a very, you know, big thing for Jakar. Yes. I didn't, because that's all I picked up on when I was a child was Jaquan. I didn't realize there was other religion. There's other religion. It becomes even more important in season five, I think. The mm -hmm. other ones. Oh, okay. Um, which I won't spoil well, right now. Yeah. But, I do not think I've watched it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but when we get there. You'll, you'll understand okay. what I'm talking about. Well, that makes makes more sense. Yeah, her Natal says her father followed Jalan, and mm -hmm. she's just follows herself, does her yeah. own thing. And so, I mean, the spiritual leaders of Narn, like, are not necessarily prophets, it feels. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, there's a bit of that. There's a bit of that religious mystique to them, for sure. They're mythological figures. But they have books that they've written. Yeah, they got the fancy books. They got the fancy books. And as a follower of that person, you hand transcribe your own copy of that book. That's part of it. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And so it could just be, you know, like, I'm sure there's some very more variation in them. Some of them might be more religious. Some of them might be more morally guided or just interesting mm -hmm. or just kind of like life advice. You know, it kind of from what I gather from what we hear about it, it ranges the gamut of characters from like, not characters is the wrong word, but people like Jesus to like, almost like Guy Fieri. Like it kind of <laughs> like, it's, it's kind of like, it's, it seems like to me from what I've gathered, it's kind of everywhere. Yeah. Um, and that's not to take away anything from anyone religiously speaking, but more of a statement of, you know, you kind of pick a person who you vibe with and that's, you kind of follow their credo. Mm -hmm. And that could be a very religious credo or it could be about going to a bunch of bunky restaurants. <laughs> From my understanding of it. Sure. So it, it varies a lot. Yeah. We cut from religious talk to mm -hmm. back to Zento. And 
this man is the worst negotiator I have ever seen. Yeah. I don't understand how he's the best because he's he's talking down to the dock workers. Mm-hmm. His tone is not making any attempt to connect with the way that they are feeling. He's the guy in the fancy suit telling the blue collar workers how they should be acting. Yeah. And I was like, this this is not how you do this, Earth Central. <laughs> yeah, it's a recession. Everyone's getting a pay cut, uh, except the military. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we've cut oh. away the fat, but we've left the muscle and bone. And our experts say this is enough money to do your job. So do your job with this money because our experts are right. Uh, yeah. And then uh, uh, the 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 foreman who's just not hearing this bullshit is just like, then the experts can run the docks. I'm yeah. just like, chef's kiss. That's I, I wondered if this actor who plays Del Vientos has been a dock worker. Like he was, <laughs> he lived it. He, he did. He was in it. Connolly says the threat to invoke the Rush Act is a bluff. Sinclair doesn't agree. One thing hasn't changed. Workers always get screwed. Damn you. Yeah. <laughs> it's too real. And then at 5 a.m., the workers move to a full strike. This is a rude time. I, I was like, why are we still awake? I don't understand. If I got woken up at 5 a.m. to tell, get told that all my workers were on strike, I'd be, a, well, I'd be very upset about getting woken up at 5 a.m. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I want to point out that when Sinclair finds out that they're on strike, he wasn't even asleep. He's up playing on his phone, this man. He needs yeah. to put that thing down. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got to get to the next level of Candy Crush, so. Yeah, I understand. The struggle's real. Yeah. Yeah, so he's playing on his phone. Zento calls angrily at 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. to tell him it's officially a strike. Don't even give a fuck what time it is. Zento just calling. <sighs> And then Jakar calls as yep. well to pester him. About he needs the a moment of time to jump from A plot to B plot. Mm-hmm. He wants Sinclair to get Londo to hand over the flower. And so he goes to Londo. And this is where I told you to scrub to 2733 listener mm-hmm. on HBO Max. And I just want you to take a look at Londo and just breathe in his pajamas. <laughs> his satin pajama suit that would make Barney Stinson just smile. I'm sorry, dude, but that is just the most ridiculous sleeping attire I've ever seen in my life. He's living the sleep shirt. He's 100%. living his best sleep shirt life. This is amazing. <laughs> Peter Jurisic wears this costume. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> it's great. And Lando refuses to hand it over. And Jakar calls Natoth to go for plan C for plot B. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zanto and Connolly go at it further with no movement in a meeting room. The Rush Act will be put into effect for the next hour. They're done with this. Yeah. Sinclair's unzipped his jacket. You, yep. I don't know if your screen catches this listener, but uh, Sinclair has increasing five o'clock shadow throughout <laughs> this episode. Sometimes inconsistent five o'clock shadow. There's one scene where... He's suddenly clean shaven and then he's back to uh, five o'clock shadow. And I wish that I had written that timestamp down now that I'm yeah. saying this out loud, but <laughs> look for it. It's there. <laughs> yep. Um, I want to take a second here. The preview for this episode was very specific about how this goes down. And I've got mm-hmm. an issue with it. Sinclair's military career 
and the safety of Babylon 5 are threatened when the loading dock workers violently demand improvements in their Hmm. wages and working conditions. Hmm. Is the preview for this episode. That seems a little overblown. That hasn't been the case so far. It's not the case for the rest of the episode. And the government is the one who threatens to use violence and brings in weapons in the first place. Yeah. HBO's business daddy is (laughs) AT&T. Who wrote this preview? Uh Uh Which corporate shill wrote this preview? (laughs) Out yourselves. (laughs) Right. Yeah, there's no violence until literally the the cops roll in yeah and the well i i don't know who throws the first punch i do believe it is a dock worker but that's not the point <laughs> well they even they like agree to rumble it's almost like it's west side story yeah <laughs> <laughs> like they may as well have been snapping their fucking fingers yeah yeah but things were peaceful up until the cops rolled in. It's yeah. true. Okay. Well, I'm glad that we have set that record straight. Yeah. Because HBO did did us dirty on that. They did. Looking at you, AT&T. Presuming that AT&T executives managed to get their shitty service working long enough to see it. I know who did that. <laughs> see you. This, this doesn't come across on pod, but I'm doing the eyes thing. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. The, the watching you fucker thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so this is, okay. We watched Shakar and Orlando march into CNC. This is the slapstick. This is some slapstick here. This is where we get goofy. Reporters it's not just are asking questions. Uh-huh. Sinclair is done. He tells Ivano to get them out. She counts to 10. They do. Like they rush out by three. And then uh-huh. Garibaldi walks in at the end finishes the count and was like oh what i miss like he never even saw them in the hall <laughs> like he never right? heard anything like they weren't running out immediately like uh-huh. <laughs> so this isn reporter i believe is the one from mm, yes yeah we've yeah, seen that an before. earlier episode we've seen mm-hmm. her hair before i yeah. i knew <laughs> <laughs> and then hinoshi calls hmm? sinclair despite your arguments the rush act's been invoked mm-hmm. And then he asks for the full text of the Senate order, which is important mm-hmm. later. Garibaldi and security go to arrest everyone without guns. No, I didn't. I didn't look for no that. No one's got a gun in this. They seat. definitely got like their riot jackets on. They got riot jackets on and they got like their little cattle prod stunner things that they use. <laughs> but no guns. I did not see a single gun even on like the waist of anyone on the security. They knew not to bring them. Well, we probably didn't have the budget for that, really. <laughs> but it's nice they didn't. It's a detail mind. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They go at it. They rumble. Sinclair has security pull back. Connolly and Zanto are to join him as he goes to the dock workers to speak. The Rush Act gives Sinclair, as military commander, any means necessary to end the strike. Mm-hmm. He gets Zanto to agree to his full support that he has any means necessary to end the strike and Zanto of course you have my support let's let's end let's this bust strike some right heads. now <laughs> yeah and he ends the strike uh yep. any means necessary his means are reallocating 1.3 million credits from the military budget to upgrade equipment and hire more workers 
and declare complete amnesty for all those whose only crime was the illegal strike. Yep. Santo is pissed. <laughs> and Sinclair just looks at him and goes, You should never hand someone a gun unless you're sure where they'll point. Just another argument to me that he is not a master negotiator because he could yep. have seen that coming. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. The strike ends. All the injured, sleepless rioters go back to work immediately. Yeah, that seems like a, that's going to work out fine. This, it's this gonna is the be whole problem. <laughs> go take a nap, then come back to work. <laughs> Report back to work in four hours, maybe not immediately. Yeah. Sinclair, a little <laughs> rude there. <laughs> not really considering them, but he did, yeah. I guess, just give them all a raise. It's true. And um, we still got to wrap up the B plot. Yep. So we have to go back to Londo and Jakar. I believe in the council room meeting with Sinclair. Mm hmm. And Sinclair lets Lando know that he's seizing the Jaquan F because it's got psychotropic qualities. So it is not legal to possess unless you are using it for valid religious or medicinal purposes. Yep. It's a controlled substance. It's mine now. Bye. Yep. yep. And Lando's fine with this because he says that he's already gotten his enjoyment out of it anyway. Mm -hmm. And he gives Jakar a look as he's leaving. And Jakar is still dejected, even though Sinclair says, I'm going to give you the plant now. Yeah. It's you have too valid... late for the ceremony. Yeah, it's too late for the ceremony. His valid religious purpose is already passed. Yep. But Sinclair offers a loophole. Mm -hmm. The sunlight from the ceremony a decade ago will reach the station in 12 hours. Yep. Because sunlight does travel like that. I did appreciate this detail. But... <laughs> he, says, he says it's 10.2 light years to Narn, which yeah. means it's actually going to pass in a couple of months. Right. Not 12 <laughs> hours. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's fine. Shakar's pleased with this. Hidoshi calls again. He's a hell of a gambler, but he's made some enemies in the Senate. He tells Sinclair, but he did win. And we end with Shakar conducting his ceremony. Yeah. We end on some spiritual chanting and praying mm -hmm. as, the, as the sunlight washes over the Narn. Yep. So, yeah. So, Laura, on a scale of Babylon 1 to Babylon 5. Oh, boy. How'd you feel about this episode? Okay. It's tough because, you know, now I'm like, well, how does this relate to the last one that we rated? Mm -hmm. I feel like they were about on par with one another. Can we do halvesies? You can do whatever you want. Yeah. Like decimals. Can we get into the decimal points? Sure. I don't think anyone <laughs> who's listening to this is going to begrudge us our own scale that we right. have had for one episode uh -huh. changing in some manner. Because <laughs> I would give it a Babylon 3.5, I guess, because I yeah. don't quite, it doesn't quite have the same staying power in the story as the previous episode, which we gave Babylon 4 both. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I was like, well, I'd, I really wish that we saw more of Connolly or you know, maybe we'll get some of these dock workers again. That foreman sure feels familiar. Yeah, I think we but, see him a handful of times. Yeah, that'd be Or maybe that'd we be already great. have. Yeah. And, you know, I understand that it seems like the 
comedic choices were made because we can't have this conversation in America without them. But they did like take me out a little bit. I was like, whoa, <laughs> why are we being so funny? Why are we making jokes about this? So yeah, that's why I would rate it just a little bit lower than Babylon 4. Okay. I really like this think? one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is a great episode. Um, this is a great episode for a couple of reasons. One, it does a really good job of, I think I've described this episode as one of the transition points for Jakar's character. Mm, okay. Where you go from really thinking he's a villain to being a bit more of a sympathetic character. Okay. Yeah. So I think it's a, it's a good episode for Jakar and Lando, despite it being some slapstick comedy, it does a very good job of like, this is the level of their relationship. Like this is how deep it goes that Lando would have ordered this plant months ago, knowing that Jakar was going to need it just on the off chance, something happened to his own shipment, or maybe he even made a point of making it more difficult for Jakar to get it in the background. We don't even get that. Yeah. It'd be a very Lando move. But really what this episode stands out for me is Sinclair. Mm -hmm. He's the star of the show in this one for sure. And just seeing how he handles this strike and how he sides with the people. And, you know, he might be a military commander. And we get, you know, that Admiralty was in line for this job. You know, people much higher rank than him were supposed to be in charge of the station. Mm Mm-hmm. And he knows that now. And I feel like that shapes him and he has a recognition of that and he feels an obligation because of it that he might not have felt two episodes previous. Mm -hmm. And I really like that about him and his character and how he goes about fixing things in this episode. So I'm going to give this one a straight Babylon 4. Okay. I buy that. Yeah. I like that reasoning. It's good logic. Our next episode is season one, episode 15, The Quality of Mercy. I feel like I might remember this one. Give us the description. Dr. Franklin helps a former physician dying from a painful disease in her experiments with an alien healing machine. Mm -hmm. Talia is traumatized after once again scanning the mind of a psychopathic killer. Oh, that part is a big sigh for me. (laughs) It is, and it should be. I do remember the A plot of this episode really well. I think that thing becomes important, this machine. Yes, this machine has a very important purpose in, I want to say, the end of season three or four. Yeah. It's something that, like, it just, you stash it away, and then when you least expect it, this machine shows up again. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it next week. Me too. In the meantime, thank you to Jeremy Siegel. That's jeremysiegel42 at bandcamp.com for the use of our theme music. Thank you to Angry Duck Time Machine on Instagram for our artwork, our podcast art. Thank you to you, the listener, for being here with us today. And if you want to reach out to us, give us any extra Babylon facts, you can reach us at our email. Who are you? B5 at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. We'll see you next week, Internet.
Nailed it.